curse, Virginia. Did I ever seek it? Why is it forced upon me? Dunmore scowled, taking a big gulp of whiskey from a crystal glass. Clarie's eyes widened as Dunmore threw down his glass and ran out of the governor's palace with his friends. Yes, Dunmore is a wild one. He's a burly, avid hunter with a coarse personality and not a shred of religion. He tends to drink and act impulsively. And he is going to govern Virginia? Welcome to the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, with your hosts, Max, Liz, and Nigel. This podcast is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And I'm your narrator, Denny Brownlee. Today we'll hear Chapter 55 from The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, and later we'll ask our author friend Jenny about her favorite book, other than the ones she writes. And of course, leading the way, as always, our favorite four-legged friends, Max, Liz, and Nigel. Uh, uh, where's Nigel? Uh, he's hiding, lad. Why is he hiding? There is a certain lady mouse down the street who seems to have, uh, uh, how do you say, taken a shine to him? And I say, I'm quite shiny enough, if you please. Uh, where are you, Nigel? I'm under your ball cap, old chap. Ah. Uh. What does the MSU stand for, then? Mosey State University? <laughs> Never mind. Uh, Nigel, come out, see the play. We will protect you. Uh, from a lady mouse? Come on, Nigel, I would think you'd be flattered. Well, perhaps I should be, but, well, she's rather forward and a tad bit flirtatious. Oh, mon ami, she just has a crush on you. Hey, and how much could a wee mousy crush anyway? Uh, not that kind of crush, Max. So, Nigel, what, what kind of flirting has she done? Well, the other day she left me some pumpkin seeds on the doorstep with a note that referred to me as, um, uh, uh, pumpkin. <laughs> Indeed. Hey, and tell another lad about the love note. Max, stop it. Uh, here, monsieur. Okay. It says, uh, roses are red. Uh, she's right so far. <clears throat> roses are red. Daisies are yeller. I'd sure like for you to be my feller. Uh, love, Rodine. It is sweet, although rather pedestrian. And that, my pet, is the trouble. It seems we are polar opposites. Oil and water, as it were. Well, Nigel, in the scientific realm, uh, polar opposites attract, no? Hi, Mosey. Uh, maybe you could teach her some of your uppity British ways. I am not uppity. Uh, no one of me. Uh, Max just means that uh, perhaps you could bring her some refinement and culture. Perhaps you could even transform her. Oh, no, 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 no. I shall not be recreating Pygmalion. Oh, she's not a Pygmalion. She'd be a most femalian. And... I have an idea. Oh, c'est magnifique. Uh, we shall invite Rodine over for dinner. I beg your pardon. No worries, Nigel. I shall prepare a delicious French gourmet dinner. Hi, lass. And I can be your maitre dog. <laughs> and see to it that you be waited on hand and paw. But uh, while this is all awfully gracious... Uh, 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 uh. And if things do not go well, Max and I can be here to uh, run interference, no? And get rid of her. Max, uh, come on, mon ami. Uh, perhaps there is an endearing side to Rodine that you simply have not yet discovered. Well, uh, 
It has been a while since I shared dinner company with a fair maiden. Uh, you haven't had a date in a while either. Max! Uh, right. Uh, and since you'll be here the whole time, uh, let's have a covert signal in case the whole thing stops heading off the proverbial cliff. Uh, I shall tug on my ear if I sense the need to uh, bail out. If you see the tug, you are to take action to nip the disaster in the bud. Are we clear? Aye, Mousy. Tug on the ear. Get the lass out of here. Max! Ah, then it is settled, Nigel. You shall invite Rodin to dinner. Max, you shall set the table with the fine china and silver. Uh, monsieur, bring us our VRK chapter de jour, and I shall prepare the cuisine extraordinaire. Ready, set, go! Chapter 55. A Darkness Begins. The response of the colonists to the Townsend Acts was so predictable. Even Al knew what would happen when the colonies stopped importing British goods, Clarie reported to Gilliman. British exports to America dropped 30% overall, 50% to Massachusetts, and a whopping 80% to New York. Clarie stood with Gilliman in the Iamosphere, observing key moments in their unfolding mission on both sides of the Atlantic. She pointed to a frame showing Britain's new Prime Minister, Frederick, Lord North. Do you think he'll last longer than the five who came before him? As the King's sixth Prime Minister, Lord North has been tasked with forming the sixth government so far in King George's ten-year reign, Gilliman replied, watching Lord North take a seat at his desk. Twelve is the biblical number of governmental perfection, but the number six means incomplete, falling short, and the number of man without God. Unlike seven, which means complete, Clary interjected with a smile, like the order of the seven? Gilliman nodded and smiled. He pointed to the crest of Great Britain with its lion and unicorn. The British lion seeks to dominate the colonies, how interesting that the lion was only given six names in the Old Testament. But the British unicorn doesn't look anything like the ones in Old Testament times, Clarie jested. So time will tell if this sixth prime minister will make the British lion fall short in dominating the colonies. Lord North reviewed a letter from King George III. His finger followed the words on the page to make sure he fully understood the wishes of his sovereign. I am clear that there must always be one tax to keep up the right, and as such, I approve the tea duty. Lord North sat back in his chair with his elbows resting on its arms, propping up his chin with tented fingers. Keep up the right? A tax on tea? Repeal the rest, he said aloud to himself, gazing out the window as the cold rain pelted the glass. Surely this will put an end to the rebellion and restore trade. Gilliman walked up to the panel and shook his head as Lord North took out paper and dipped his quill into the inkwell. The man in his late thirties began writing instructions for Parliament to repeal all the Townsend duties except for the tax on tea. Lord North will last a while, but his constancy of mediocrity will not help King George. He lacks the vision and the strength needed to combat the self-seeking, blind interests of Great Britain. 
Gilliman touched two panels of concurrent time that swirled into view side by side for the same date, March 5, 1770. One panel showed Parliament in London. The other panel showed the Boston Massacre. Gilliman pointed to Clary ushering Henry Knox away from the scene while Max stood by Captain Preston. You and Max did well in Boston, little one. It was a tragedy, but it could have been far worse. What a shame the people didn't know what was happening on that very same day on the other side of the Atlantic, that Parliament was repealing the Townsend duties. Except for the tax on tea, Clary added. Do you think keeping this tax will cause more trouble in Boston and the colonies? Gilliman gave Clary a knowing look. What do you think, given all that you've seen in Boston so far? Bostonians aren't ones to back off from a fight, Clary replied. Patrick Henry and Virginia may have led the charge to oppose the king with words, but the sons of liberty in Boston have led the charge to oppose the king with violent protests. If these young colonies truly wish to become a new nation that seeks not to abuse but preserve liberty, they must learn to do so without mob rule and anarchy, Gilliman explained. There will ever need to be counterbalances for such behavior to bring things into proper perspective, and in this case, one cousin had to be the counterbalance for the other. I think you can expect things to calm down for a while in the streets of Boston. He pointed to another panel from November 1770, with John Adams defending Captain Preston and his men in the Boston courtroom. Facts are stubborn things, and whatever may be our wishes, our inclinations, or the dictates of our passions, they cannot alter the state of facts and evidence, spoke John Adams, slowly tapping the bar as he looked into the eyes of his frustrated cousin, Samuel Adams. I was glad that John Adams was able to clear Captain Preston and his men, except for the two charged with manslaughter, stated Clary, wincing as they watched the two guilty men branded on the thumbs. Still, a brand on the thumb was a small price to pay to avoid the gallows. So Max and I are to stay in Boston for the time being? Yes, and when the tempest in the Boston teapot boils, Nigel will need to join Al on mission in London, stated Gilliman, pointing to a panel showing Benjamin Franklin playing chess with David Henry. They will need to help turn the key to Benjamin Franklin's future. And Liz is to remain with Patrick? Clary asked. I know there is no place she would rather be than with her Henry. Yes, she and Kate will be crucial to Patrick and the Henry family in the coming years. Gilliman tapped another panel, and the scene of New York Harbor came into view. Patrick Henry and Richard Bland slowly rode their horses down Wall Street on a hot summer day in July 1770. Patrick pulled on Ms. P's reins to walk her toward the water's edge. He gazed out across the water, lapping the shoreline. New York is a beautiful colony indeed. Although this trip did not accomplish its intended purpose, it has broadened our horizons, Mr. Bland. Yes, Mr. Henry, we have been able to see well beyond the borders of Virginia, Richard Bland agreed, looking out to the shoreline of New Jersey. We've now seen Maryland, Delaware, 
Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and New York, so nearly half the colonies. Although the intercolonial convention to discuss the Indian trade was cancelled, this trip has been of value nonetheless. Patrick Henry gazed out to the upper New York Bay at the few oyster islands that dotted the middle of the harbor. My eyes have been opened to see firsthand the results of liberty and the common sense of the working freemen. These northern colonies were settled by European immigrants and laborers, and they have prospered with free labor over slave labor, he said, wrinkling his brow and shifting his weight in Ms. P's saddle. Gilliman smiled and thought, Little does Patrick know what will someday stand out there on one of those islands in the middle of New York Harbor. Religious toleration helped the value of land in Pennsylvania to rise five times greater than ours in Virginia. Their colony is filled with hard-working freemen, not hapless slaves. A Dutch, Irish, or Scotch emigrant finds there his religion, his priest, his language, his manners, and everything but that poverty and oppression he left at home, Patrick suggested. I submit to you that most Virginians have nothing more than a trifling concern for religion. If Virginia would wish to bring in such pious immigrant artisans of Europe to lead Virginia to manufacture by the hands of freemen, I submit that a general toleration of religion appears to me the best means of peopling our country. And if Great Britain will not allow the colonies to end the evil slave trade, we must make it wither on the vine. Freedom and liberty naturally lead to happiness and prosperity for all. Richard Bland nodded quietly. I have no doubt but that you will fire up those debates in the House of Burgesses when we return to Williamsburg, Mr. Henry. It's time for us to be on our way. Patrick Henry nodded and patted Ms. P. on the neck. Agreed. Back to Williamsburg, Ms. P. Together, Patrick and Richard left the water's edge to depart New York City. Little did Patrick know all the changes that were coming after that trip, foretold Clary, pointing to several panels of time. Governor Botetourt's death in October, the horrific flood in the spring of 1771, and moving his family to Scotchtown, she smiled sadly. The birth of his sixth child, Nettie. Sally hasn't been the same since that precious baby was born. In spite of the joy, there's a cloud of darkness over her, Gilliman. Gilliman furrowed his brow as they watched Sally curl up in bed while Nettie cried in the small wooden cradle on the floor next to her. She turned over, pulled her legs up into her chest, and covered her ears, sobbing. Liz sauntered into the room and saw what was happening. She walked over to the cradle and started rocking it with her paw, looking into Nettie's face as she whispered words of comfort to the infant. It's time for Kate to join Liz at Scotchtown to help her with the children and Sally. Gilbert will be safe and secure at the military academy in Versailles. Kate has seen him through his time of loss, and she cannot go with him there. I will let her know. The Marquis de Lafayette is now the richest orphan in France, Clarice said, watching another panel of the young Gilbert attending the funerals of both his mother and grandmother. He's inherited wealth and land and now will be trained to serve as one of the king's musketeers. 
He has such a bright future ahead of him, despite his sadness now. But, Gilliman, I dread the darkness for Sally. I know, little one, I know. But we will help Sally and the Henry family through as best we can. The Maker's grace will be sufficient, Gilliman replied. There is darkness coming, not only in Patrick's house, but also for the entire colony of Virginia. He frowned and pointed to another panel of a forty-year-old Scotsman having a temper tantrum in New York. Who is that? Clarie asked in disgust. That is Virginia's next royal governor, John Murray, Lord Dunmore, Gilliman replied. But I thought Dunmore was the governor of New York, Clarie stated, confused. He was, but has been replaced. Dunmore was governor for only one month before Lord Botetourt died. As soon as word reached London about Botetourt's death, King George picked Dunmore here to replace him as Virginia's governor, moving North Carolina's governor to New York to replace Dunmore. Curse Virginia! Did I ever seek it? Why is it forced upon me? Dunmore scowled, taking a big gulp of whiskey from a crystal glass. He looked around the room at his drunken companions. I asked for New York. New York I took. And they have robbed me of it without my consent. Clarie's eyes widened as Dunmore threw down his glass and ran out of the governor's palace with his friends. It was midnight, and they snuck up to the coach house belonging to New York Chief Justice Horsmanden. They're destroying the coach! Clarie put her hands to her mouth in shock. Now they're cutting the tails off those poor horses. Yes, Dunmore is a wild one. He's a burly, avid hunter with a coarse personality and not a shred of religion. He tends to drink and act impulsively, Gilliman agreed. He loves everything about New York, including the land he's been scheming to acquire while there. He's so obsessed with owning land that he cheated the system to get 51,000 acres of land for himself under the guise of granting land to others. Since he was prohibited from granting more than a thousand acres of land to any one individual, he granted 51 land grants of 1,000 acres each to 51 friends. He then turned around and bought those grants from those friends for five shillings each. Why, that schemer! And he is going to govern Virginia? Clarice shouted in alarm. Uh, don't fret, little one. It's all part of the plan, Gilliman reassured her with a smile. He'll despise not only Virginia, but especially Patrick Henry. But Dunmore will do more to help the cause of American independence than Virginia could ever have hoped for. Help the cause of independence? Clarie asked in surprise. How? Gilliman leaned in with a wink by trying to do the exact opposite. Well, an intriguing ending to this week's chapter. Makes you want to keep listening, right? Well, that's an example of really great writing. And it's no secret that Jenny L. Cody is a great writer, and we all know that Jenny is passionate about the history of America, but she's also passionate about helping raise up the next generation of young writers. Maybe that's you. If so, 
Jenny's epic patriot camp, Writing the Story, has returned for the summer of 2022 and is coming soon to a laptop near you. That's right, this year's camp takes place online. And there's more good news. The Epic Patriot Camp has been opened up to all ages. So if you're a person of any age and you live uh, anywhere on planet Earth, uh, you can attend. And get this, you'll get to assume the identity of a revolutionary character, conduct some research, and then write a story that will be published in your group's book for sale on Amazon. So join Jenny L. Cody and her author colleague, Libby McNamee, for their Epic Patriot Camp and you can be a published author this summer while reenacting a bit of the American Revolution. But as of the date of this podcast first being aired, there are only a few spaces left, so you've got to hurry. To reserve your spot, go to Jenny's website, www.epicorderofthe7.com. Spell it out, epicorderofthe7.com. And get signed up for the Epic Patriot Writers Camp. Well done, announcer lad. Hey, I think Mousy's friend Rodine be coming up the sidewalk. Oh dear, oh dear. Uh, I say, how do I look? Uh, nervous as a kitten in a room full of rocking chairs. You look fine, Nigel. Uh, Max, answer the door. And remember, uh, mind your manners. Of course. Uh, mind me manners. Uh, when did I ever not mind me manners? Hello, wee Mousy lass. What's shaking, bacon? Max? Max? Ain't nothing to it, salty though. Mmm, I swanee. Something smells better than Sunday dinner on the ground. You mean dinner on the grounds? No, I mean dinner on the ground. I eat pert night all my meals on the ground. I mean, look at me. I ain't but knee-high to a possum. I keep my meals on the down low. I can see you're gonna get along great with Nigel. Uh, start tugging your ear, lad. Uh, I mean, uh... uh Nigel P. Monaco, I present Miss Rodine Sweet-Tater. Uh, it is a pleasure, uh, Miss Sweet-Tater. Oh, Nigel, just call me Rodine. Uh, right, uh, Rodine. Uh, ow, 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 ow. Uh, Mosey, leave your ear alone. We didn't even eat yet. Uh, and may I present our chef par excellence, uh, Lizette Brion. Oh, may we? Oui. You must be Rodine. I surely must be, and may we back at you. As in, may we eat soon? Your cooking smells delish. <laughs> uh, that was a charming twist of words. Uh, ow, 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 Liz, why are you pulling on your ear? No reason, Max. Uh, please, Rodine, sit down. Dinner will be coming right up. Well, I reckon dinner's got to go down before it can come up. <laughs> I'm just playing with you. <laughs> I say, uh, uh, good one, old girl. <laughs> ow, 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 ow. Uh, why do we say grace, then? Uh, maker, we thank you for our guest joining us, and we thank you for all this fancy food and for the pause that prepared it. In your name, maker, amen. 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 My goodness, look at all them fancy forks and such. Aye, lass. You got your salad fork, your soup spoon, and the fork for your dessert, plus your basic... I ain't never seen so much flatware. <laughs> Where I come from, we pretty much just stand on the plate and go for it. Ow, 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 ow. Y'all got some strange customs pulling on your ears, but when in Rome... Ow, 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 ow. Uh, changing this subject, uh, I say, uh, 
read any good books lately? Um, not lately. Mostly I like to climb on books. How about you? <laughs> well, while I too enjoy a good scurry through the library, uh, I do love to peruse some of the great fiction writers of the 20th century, uh, Lewis, Tolkien, and the like, uh, but every so often I simply lose myself in a classic Shakespearean tale. Oh, yeah, old Shakespeare loses me, too. On about page one, I'm thinking, do what? I say, uh, what about the uh, ancient philosophers, uh, Socrates, Aristotle, Plato? Oh, when I was a kid, I used to love Plato. You can make stuff out of it, and you can eat it, too, because it's non-toxic. But, Liz, honey, it sure ain't as non-toxic as all this. This here's good eating. What do y'all call this? Uh, it is a vegetable dish called ratatouille. A ratatouille? Sounds like something you're spitting back out. But I swanee, I could eat this all day and twice on Tuesday. Indeed, my compliments to the chef. Oh, merci, Nigel. Whoa, she can even talk French. Will wonders never cease? Only French word I know is ooh la la. <laughs> Très bien. Ow, 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 ow. Uh, this might be a great time to head to Ginny's Corner. Oh, that's when y'all talk to your book author, Ginny L. Cody, right? I tell you what, that old gal can flat out slap them words down on a page. Uh, aye, uh... Uh, hello, Miss Jenny. Bonjour. Hey, Max and Liz. What are you curious about today? Well, Les, here's a question I'm surprised we never asked you before. Uh, not a moment too soon. Uh, as a writer, you've also spent a lot of time reading, especially in the Bible, uh, the Maker's Book. So then, you must have your favorite verse or your favorite passage then, aye? And that's kind of hard to answer because I got a lot of them. I'm currently on my sixth read-through of the Bible. I've enjoyed taking different translations and reading from different perspectives, and I love to get commentary Bibles. Right now, I'm reading through Halley's NIV study Bible that came out last year, and I read every single commentary note, the tiny, tiny print at the bottom of the page, because the point for me is to read it and to study it and to understand what you're reading. It's not to get to the finish line and check a box. Oh, I got that done. Okay, I don't have to read the Bible anymore. No, it's to keep reading and learning and understanding. And the way I read my Bible is I read a chapter from the Old Testament first, and then every day I read a psalm and a proverb. Now, Psalm has about 150 of them. And so reading one a day can take me months to get through them all. But Proverbs is broken out to where there's one for every day of the month. So you can read the first day of the month, read Proverbs 1 and 2 and then so forth. So one chapter from the Old Testament, a Psalm, a Proverb, and then I read a chapter from the New Testament. And this is kind of a new way that I'm I've never done this approach before. Before, I've always just kind of read chronologically through, or I've started with the New Testament. But I'm really enjoying this method because it gives you, again, the big eagle-eye view, the Cato-eye view of the big picture, and seeing how the New Testament often harkens back to the old, and how the old was just pointing us all the way to Jesus. 
But some of my favorite verses when I was seeking God's will to pursue writing full-time, Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That became kind of my life verse because the desire of my heart was to write full-time and to put all of my energy into that. And just as I was approaching the reality of that becoming so, the very day I made the decision and left the corporate world, that verse appeared in scripture. It appeared on a pillow, on a sign where I worked at the time. And so it was very sweet how God just gave me a visual sign of that verse. Of course, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Romans 8.28 is key for me, too, that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Of course, I love armor up. I love putting on the full armor of God. There's so many wonderful scriptures. My favorite Old Testament story, of course, is Joseph. And the dreamer, the schemer, and the robe was just such a delight to write. I loved every minute of it. And we might have a surprise coming here soon, Monsieur Announcer Lad. Do you want to tell him what you're up to? Well, if I do, it will no longer be a surprise. <laughs> uh, seriously, she's referring to The Dreamer, The Schemer, and The Robe being our next audiobook project. And at the time of this podcast airing, I'm smack dab in the middle of recording that book. So be looking for the completed audiobook of The Dreamer, The Schemer, and The Robe by Jenny L. Cody uh, sometime in May of 2022. Uh, that'll be here before you knew it. Uh, thanks, Miss Jenny, uh, and uh, no, Sir Lad. You're right, Max. May ain't far off at all. Why, that's Bert and I's spitting distance. We, uh, oui, Rodine, you are so in touch with uh, your saliva. Ah, thanks, Liz. And, uh, might I add, Miss Jenny's actual written books are, uh, 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 uh great for climbing. What? Oh, I know that's true. They's good reading books, too. You, you, you actually read her books? Well, of course, Nige. In fact, that old Joseph story is one of my favorites, too. You read the Bible? Well, sure. I may not be much for using fancy forks and napkins and drinking tea with my pinkies sticking up, but I'm all up into the Word of God and the way he took old Joseph from being a dreaming, smarty-pants youngin' to a big-shot muckety-muck for Pharaoh, just so's he could forgive his ugly half-brothers and take care of his daddy. And then, like Miss Jenny was saying, you just flip over to the Gospel of Luke or John, one of them, and there's the Lord Jesus being hung on a cross and he's forgiven all of us for being his ugly half-brothers and half-sisters and... Uh, uh, let, let me stop you there, Rodine. <laughs> I say, you seem to know your Bible quite well, your uh, earthly perspective notwithstanding. Oh, Nigel, I just flat-out love when you commence to spitting out all them big fancy words. Again with the saliva. Aye, lass. Uh, but I got to say, Mousy, Rodine knows her stuff with the maker, then. Indeed. And, uh, so, uh, Rodine, I, uh, wonder if I can ask if you're busy, say, uh, uh, Tuesday night? Uh, look, Nigel, you're sweet and all, and I'm gonna say this in deepest Christian love, but I think maybe you're a tad bit persnickety for me. 
I beg your pardon. I'll have you know that I am, am quite, uh, 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 unsnickety. Unsnickety? Even I know that, aren't a word. Quiet, Max. Uh, this is getting good. Uh, but, Nigel, you was about to ask me out, weren't you? Oh, heavens, no. I mean, uh, well, no, actually, I, I have something much better in mind. Uh, would you care to join me for a weekly study of the scriptures? Like a Bible study? That would be sweeter than a moon pie on a June bug. We can be Bible study buddies. Hey, that rhymes. Hi, you're a poet and a scholar. Oh, Twabian, a Bible study would be wonderful, and uh, there would be no spitting, we? Oui? Indeed, a Bible study. Why, that would take the biscuit. I heard that. And uh, incidentally, Rodine, where I come from, biscuit means cookie. Oh, honey, don't you fret none. You had me at biscuit. Once again, the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And remember, you can download your very own copy of the audiobook, The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you can find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, www.epicorderofthe7.com. And I'm Denny Brownlee. Thank you for listening, and join us next time on the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast. Have a grandi! A bientôt, mes amis! Huzzah! And ta-ta! And always remember, you are loved and you are able.